Hi, this is Christy Bates of Oxford, Mississippi. Welcome to episode 121 of the Deep South Dharma podcast, being released Saturday, March the 6th, 2021. Today, I wanted to share with you the talk that I gave at our Saturday morning Dharma practice group. I don't generally record those, except that I record the talks for myself at times. Otherwise, I stop the recording so that when we are discussing, people can feel free to share whatever they wish. So I mentioned that to just say, if you ever want to join us on a Saturday morning, it's a safe place to be. But many of us, so many of us, are dealing with the experience of being adjacent to great tragedy. So whether it is a local tragedy, um, as you'll hear mentioned in today's talk, or the tragedy of over half a million people gone from COVID just in the last year, whether it's tragedies of other losses the challenge can sometimes be recognizing that in our connection to other beings, we're going to have our own degrees of grief, our own degrees of raw feeling, that no matter how directly involved or indirectly involved we may feel, that there is value and healing in sharing our stories with each other. Introduce today's topic uh, by sharing a paragraph from um, a book that I just recently be- became aware of uh, by a, a sister in the uh, Plum Village tradition. I believe she lives at Deer Park Monastery. She's not local to us uh, at this monastery, but she's. It's. Um, I don't know if you can see the cover. Of the the. Um, and I don't, I don't know if the image is flipped for you or not. But the title is "Flowers in the Dark." It's called. Re- And the subtitle says, Reclaiming Your Power to Heal from Trauma with Mindfulness. And um, so Flowers in the Dark is the name. The sister, uh, in reading the book so far, what I gather is that people call her Sister D because they have the same problem I do with not knowing how to pronounce her name. You know, I need to get back on my Duolingo to um, practice some Vietnamese. I was doing that for a while. I need to get back into that. But um, there is a lovely uh, couple of paragraphs here that I, w- uh, that I want to introduce. And um, now I will mention this, one of these paragraphs mentions uh, suicide. That's not what we're talking about today, but, but there are some um, aspects here that she speaks of that, I, that are really important um, for us. So under a heading called, We Are All Connected, Sister D says, the insight of interbeing can help heal our individualism, 
The insight of inner being can help heal our individualism, loneliness, and despair. I see many young people nowadays who are depressed, suffering from anxiety and suicidal ideation when their problems seem unbearable or insurmountable, just like I once did. When we have an incorrect view about the self, we may think, this is my body, I can do whatever I want with it. Even sincere Buddhist practitioners who value animal and plant life can be neglectful and abusive of their own bodies. We may use this very body to punish someone else or to punish ourselves. When we gain the insight of inner being, we see that this body is not our body. This body is a transmission from our father, mother, grandparents, and generations of ancestors. They have given us this body and entrusted us with it. We are continuing them. Reverence for life allows us to have gratitude for our ancestors' gift to us, this unique existence. So for this week, those of us that live in the Oxford area um, had the really, uh, we had a really tragic thing happen in our community, which I won't go into detail about, uh, but just that there was a, a really horrible accident and a young father and two children were killed um, just on the way to school uh, one morning this past week. And the children were five and two. And, um, and there, of course, there's so much that's tragic about that. What I noticed as a member of the community who didn't know these people personally was how, how raw I felt all day long and how at the same time that I felt very raw, this, my sort of habitual critical voice, one of the things it does when I experience that sort of empathetic pain, this voice kicks in that says, well, don't make this about you. This is not about you. And of course, then I'm in my head arguing, going, well, I mean, I know it's not about me. It's just very sad. You know, this whole thing kind of, and fortunately, one of the things that I have lived long enough to learn is that when that critical inner voice comes in, it is a priori evidence that, that something has stressed me, um, that, that, it, that the stress is genuine, right? That there's a genuine um, blow. And, um, and I think as the day went on and the couple of days going off after, part of it too was the um, you know, sadness for the family, for the, the young wife and mother left behind, for the person driving the, this really large vehicle um, that was involved in the accident and, and whatever they and their family is going through, hearing about the tears of first responders and our mayor and, you know, just that there was the, a poignant sense of um, that part of what I was feeling so raw about was not only that this awful thing had happened, but also really um, seeing and feeling other people feeling connected to it and caring, you know, and just hoping that for the people that were directly impacted, that they somehow um, at some level, at some level for now can really feel and, and be held up by the support of, of knowing that people really care that much. 
And um, this, this, what I, one of the, the things that this paragraph or this couple of paragraphs really helped me with is just sort of that understanding of, you know, a deeper understanding of, of course, there's sort of habitual feelings of, oh, you know, young people shouldn't have to die and all that when we actually intellectually, we know that that's just our cognitive uh, bias that thinks, you know, that thinks, well, people only die at a certain age later, you know, and so there's, there's that aspect of things that, of course, the fact is, is that people die at all kinds of ages. But but what I loved about this paragraph was the way that it really names why does that feel especially tragic to us when, um, when you have a whole branch of a family sort of cut down and that continuation ends. And it really is, um, the thing is, is that, you know, even when a community rallies around a person who goes through a long-term illness, there is this sense that in the fabric of the community, there may be places where the fabric wears thin through a long illness or someone dying of old age, right? There's that sense of the fabric softening, wearing thin, going through that time where you can see through it practically before it, before it um, unravels. And there's a sense of um, that, even though there may be um, lots of feelings around that, it's not a, it's not a, uh, that change from life to death is not so violent and sudden. And in the kind of thing that happened this week for those of us locally, or, you know, that has happened for lots of people in lots of places around the world have had their own similar things where the fabric is ripped suddenly. And there is a feeling of, even though I don't, you know, quote unquote, know these people, I don't, I am not quote unquote directly involved. There is that, there is that part of the mind that goes, gosh, that was just a couple of blocks away. It feels very, you know, it's like being very close to the rip in the fab fabric and feeling all of these, all of the threads feeling impacted by that. And so this, this sense of that insight into interconnection and interbeing can both help us, you know, not make something about us in an egoic way that is not about our individual self, but in healing. Um, I loved what she said about healing our individualism, right? It really highlighted for me, oh yeah, you know, that, that critical voice, that very much is that voice of that disease, that dis-ease of individualism they, you don't, you know, what's wrong with you? That happened to them. That didn't happen to you, right? That that's part of that, that attempt to protect a sufficient cutoff self, which is not real. That's not real life. We're not actually cut off. Um, and so that actually the only real way out of that suffering is, is to acknowledge to whatever degree is actually realistic for us, the sense of the fabric ripping that we feel. And of course, this doesn't only have to do with how close we are in proximity to someone that's had a tragedy. It's also the fact that when something happens like this, 
it really at a visceral level reminds us that that we're inhabiting these bodies that are quite fragile of just it reminds us how much has to go right on a day-to-day basis and how much does i mean there can be a lot of gratitude that comes with that there can be that recognition of how much does go right on a day-to-day basis it's amazing that any of us is able to drive to the store and back or you know and not get hurt right that so much has to go quote unquote right um, but we really do have that sense of our our vulnerability and of course this is so much uh, what our mainstream of culture sometimes uh, seems to be single-handedly devoted to helping us deny our vulnerability or to overcome or outsmart our vulnerability. There is a classic story that um, is really pretty beautiful um, in which a, a woman who had lost a son goes to the Buddha and it's just, I mean, she just cannot, um, she's been apparently trying to deal with it by herself and it's, it, and just, it just is in so much pain. And she goes to the Buddha and just, and is just saying, please, please, please bring, bring my son back. She has this, she's heard wonderful things about the Buddha. She has this idea, you know, and, and I think, you know, he even tries to tell her that's not, I don't bring people back. That's not my thing, you know. Um, but she just, you know, she she is just bereft and pleads with him. And finally he says, you know, I, I tell you what, go into the village and bring me the mustard seed. Bring me a mustard seed from a household where no one has died. And so... And he says, and then bring it back to bring it back to me when when you have found that. Now, of course, she never she never did return to him because what happened is she went into the village and knocking on doors, coming into households and asking, you know, saying, I, I am on a search for I need a mustard seed from a house where where no one has ever died. I need, you know, I need that to bring my son back. And and household after household after household, of course, she encountered stories of loss. People shared their stories of loss with her. She shared her story of loss with them. And so by the end of it, she came to realize, uh, sometimes the way this story is told as, oh, you know, she came to realize that everybody's experienced loss. And that sometimes that's presented as if that's the end of the story. I think to me, the end of the story is not that. I don't think that the Buddha was trying to teach her a lesson in terms of, oh, you're not the only one. So, you know, if you just go learn, you're not the only one, you won't hurt so much. I don't think it's that. I think it's that the Buddha knew that she needed to go share her story and let other people share with her and needed to be, that she needed to experience the healing that comes from being able to share stories and being able to hear stories. Um, and so even I, and, and in recognizing that, I've also recognized how even for those of us on the periphery, whether it's um, 
you know, learning on the news of people dying during the snowstorms or whether it's closer to home, that people being able to share their stories of their experience of loss um, that are brought forward anytime, anytime lost, loss happens in our midst, it brings forth our own stories of loss, our own experience with loss. Um, and I, as we were practicing this morning, I even just sort of had that sense of how, you know, when there's a wound in the body and, and all these various cells that go, that start rushing toward where the gash is, you know, for healing. That's really um, the experience that I uh, feel we are engaged in. Um, and really at some level we're engaged in it all the time um, to some degree at some level, as long as we're in this world, in this life with um, in these vulnerable human bodies relating to other people with other sentient beings with vulnerable bodies. Um, but there are times, of course, that we feel it more than others. And this is one of those times for some of us. So. Let's just give ourselves a minute to let that settle. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Deep South Dharma Podcast. We hope you'll feel welcome to share this with anyone you think would find it useful. And as always, feel free to message us your feedback, questions, or topics of interest. Until we meet again, take good care of this body, mind, and heart.